Make Life Delicious, the podcast, is more than the food we eat. It's what else in life that makes us feel, be, and act delicious. We'll have conversations about real life, its messiness, and the things we can't live without. The ups, the downs, and the things we do on the daily to maintain our health, strength, and our balance. We'll talk about the unconventional wisdom and the alternative practices used in raising families, from healing to sex, because life's juicy. We are so excited and so ready to share how we make life delicious every day and how you can too. This is a Soul Fire production. Coming this March, we've created a seven-day reset just for you. We've taken our highly popular 21-day reset program and developed a self-guided reset to help you learn the basics of detoxification. In just seven days, you'll begin to feel the difference an anti-inflammatory diet can have on your body and brain. By following our step-by-step seven-day reset, you'll discover which foods work best for you. Watch as the bloat melts away and sleep returns. Ah, yes, clarity happens. Megs and I are blown away by the response from our 21-day winter reset results our students had. We can't wait for you to get started and begin to feel the difference it can make. Head to currygirlskitchen.com or follow the link in the show notes to sign up and be the first to know when our seven-day reset is available. Welcome to Make Life Delicious, the podcast. We are thrilled to have our dear friend Autumn Bates back with us. Autumn is a certified clinical nutritionist and certified personal trainer, founder of Autumn L Nutrition and her wildly successful Autumn Bates YouTube show. In episode 14 on Make Life Delicious, Autumn shared her expertise about intermittent fasting, sugar, what it does to our body, and she touched on how doing less strenuous workouts and incorporating more walking might actually be better for us. Autumn shares lots of her thoughts and ideas all in this episode, so go check it out. Autumn is known for her informative nutrition and wellness blog, The Autumn Bates YouTube Channel. She is passionate about the science and mechanisms of exactly how to achieve optimal health. This is where Autumn shines. She is a professed science nerd, and that's what we love about her so much. So much so, she created Autumn's Nerdy Kitchen Cookbook. Oh my God, I can't wait. Autumn is our go-to expert when it comes to clinical nutrition, healthy lifestyle tips, intermittent fasting, and weight loss. Today on the show, we're doing a deep dive with Autumn about hormones, how hormones affect our overall health and well-being, get out of balance, which foods and things we can do to help our hormones get back into balance, and how hormones affect weight loss. Thank you, Autumn, for joining us today sharing all your knowledge about hormone health with our community. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be back. Oh my gosh, we love it so much. I think both Megan and I love the geekiness about it because we too are geeks. We're like geeks with the food and you're geeks with the science and the food. (laughs) So it just like makes this like really big, like, yahoo, let's do it. (laughs) It's like what we talked about in the last one, you know, it's like you take the science and make it digestible for us. I love the pun. (laughs) (laughs) So that we can understand it because there's so much stuff, especially when we get into something as intricate as hormones. And so there's so much detail and there's so, like you said, you, you focus on female hormones because it's so, there's so much more compared to like what a male hormones are when it comes to weight loss, the stress and all these things, you know, it's so good. 
getting that understanding. Yeah, that was like one of the main reasons why initially way back, I had first started um, even the just original intermittent fasting program because intermittent fasting, which is something we talked a lot more about in the last podcast, but it's such a great tool for longevity purposes, for weight loss, for deep loading, so many different reasons why it's so great, but there's so many ways to do it wrong and it can really negatively affect, um, especially as women, our, our female hormones, but because we are so much more uh, responsive to hunger that it's really crucial to be doing things like that in the right way. So our hormones respond in the right way as well. I love that. So can we just do a little bit biology 101 just to really just explain, you know, what hormones are and what do they actually do in our body? Yeah, hormones, I, I think that they um, they definitely can be very complex. Like if you're taking a physiology class, you can get really into the weeds with hormones. But the important thing to remember about hormones is that they're just messengers. So they're essentially just telling like one part of your body information to the next part of your body. So it's a way for your body to respond to its environment and and how our environment is always changing so that we can change to adapt to it. That's all the hormones are doing. They aren't the ones controlling us. Our own body are kind of like controlling the hormones. So I think that's a common misconception when we think like our hormones are out of whack or they're out of balance. It's not necessarily hormones. They're doing their job of, of responding to the environment. It's just our environment might be out of balance. So it's kind of like an influencer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're the influencers of our body. Exactly. <laughs> I love that breaking down, though, of how you're talking about as the environment, because I think that's a piece that people really take for granted when it comes to health and wellness. Your environment, what causes, which will go into stress, but all of that is going to impact then moving forward, how you're feeling and how your body responds. Right. And environment is, it's such a broad concept. It's not, I mean, we think of environment like as literally like where we are, like where we're living or sleeping, but it's so much more than that, or at least in the way I think of it. Um, our environment is our food that we're putting into our body. It's the stress that we have for every day. It's the um, toxins that we're exposed to. It's the level of sleep that we're getting or not able to get, or the amount of exercise we're doing. So it's basically these external factors um, that are influencing our internal body. Exactly. I mean, just even the things that we keep underneath our sink, these things that are, you know, toxic that we don't even know that are, um, what do you call it? They're like interrupters to our hormone system. Yeah. Endocrine disruptors. Yeah. Disruptors. That's the thing. It's like, there's things that actually disrupt. So what would you say then, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, people need to even check in for themselves. What are signs of some like imbalances? How do we even know, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on in our body that's telling us, ooh, you know, those signals? Yeah. It's a lot of small everyday things. It's not necessarily like one big thing, although it can be one big thing, but, um, you know, it's not like you take you can take a lab test and you can get tests back to say like, oh, my cortisol levels are really crazily high all throughout the day. Or like my, um, you know, testosterone levels are extremely low there. You can take those tests, but there are signs that will pop up throughout the day as well. And it's basically if you're able to function at a normal capacity where you have high energy levels, you're able to get high quality sleep. You're not waking up feeling tired and groggy. Um, you aren't having excessive weight gain. 
for no reason. There's all of these other additional factors that might not seem like they have anything to do with each other, but you know, the, um, the poor quality sleep, which of course will have an issue with your melatonin, your sleep hormone, uh, that in itself could also, uh, affect the weight gain around the belly with the increased cortisol levels the next day. So there it's not really isolated to like one hormone causes one problem, but they all kind of interconnect. So it's more so looking at your life as a whole, seeing what it is that's in or out of alignment, using that as like a chiropractic word rather than nutrition, um, mm-hmm. what's in and out of alignment. And, and that's a good place to start with where you're going to be addressing um, your hormones and what affects those hormones. So you talked about sleep. So this whole piece around sleeplessness, I hear so many women they just can't get to sleep or they'll go to mm-hmm. sleep and two hours later, they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they can't go back to sleep. Or yeah. I'm thinking about the people that now are supplementing with yeah. melatonin. Like when you say that I can't, I can count on all of my fingers and toes, people that I know in my life that are taking melatonin to go to sleep. Right. And that's a really good point, Megan, because a lot of people, again, that goes back to the philosophy of thinking there's something wrong with their hormones, not with what's causing those hormones to be low or high. Um, And I'm not an endocrinologist. This is just, you know, being able to actually see how these lifestyle factors affect your hormones itself. But like take melatonin as a great example, that's our sleep hormone. If we were in balance. If we were in a state where our body's functioning the way it's supposed to, we would naturally start to get higher levels of melatonin in the evening. Um, Each person will have like a different range of time when that happens. But when it starts to get dark out is usually when our body should start to produce melatonin. And if you are waking up, you know, in the middle of the night, likely that's a melatonin issue where for whatever reason you were not making it so that your body was able to produce enough melatonin to make you have that deep, high quality sleep which there are so many factors that can affect that. Of course, like late caffeine, if you're having caffeine late in the evening, if you're having a lot of sugar in the evening can really affect that as well. Um, If you are watching TV or on your phone within that one to two hours before bed, that is a really strong disruptor of melatonin production because your body sees that light and thinks it's uh, daytime out. So it's not going to produce that melatonin. Um, There's so many factors that can affect even something as simple as waking up in the middle of the night. Well, I just, I love that you brought up, you know, people are working later and later and they're on their computers and they're looking, scrolling in their phone an hour before bed. And a lot of the things that, you know, we're hearing is that what we need to do is turn off, turn, dim the lights, you know, have that bedtime ritual happen. If you're really having this melatonin issue to take the warm bath, create, just like we create morning rituals, we have like Mm -hmm. a bedtime ritual so that, you know, you're allowing your melatonin to, you know, kind of come into its natural state. Right. Which that's going back to the idea of melatonin supplements, which I totally went, this is why I have a YouTube channel so I can edit out my like super long (laughs) (laughs) sidetrack. (laughs) and like get to the point more efficiently. Um, But going back to the idea of melatonin supplements, that's not really addressing any of those issues that might be causing your body to not produce melatonin. So if you just take melatonin, you're not addressing the fact that you weren't able to wind down properly and naturally increase melatonin. So there's these other um, real causes of the problem. And it's really just treating the symptom, not the cause. If you're just taking a melatonin supplement. And it's really hard to gauge how much you actually need. So like 
you know, a lot of people with melatonin, if they're taking it themselves and supplementing melatonin, first of all, they get almost addicted to it because there's, it's their only way of being able to fall asleep. Um, but also you can't really figure out how much your body needs. Your body is really good at determining how much it needs, but if you're taking it, you might take way too much and feel really groggy the next day or not take enough and wake up throughout the night. So it's really impossible to figure out how much you specifically need, which is why it's like less expensive and better for you anyway, to just address what's actually causing the issue in the first place. I love you bringing that up because I know, I mean, when I was living in Italy, trying to get on board different, like a new time zone. I was taking melatonin. But what I found is that after a while, like your body builds a tolerance to it. So then I'm having to take even more to get onto this schedule versus doing these things like you're saying, like turning off the lights, maybe reading instead of scrolling through a phone before I'm going to bed, taking a top, you know, really allowing that natural melatonin to come in yeah. on its own. And that's um, a really common phenomenon. It's called a negative feedback loop. So if you are like providing your body something, especially something that it makes, then it's not going to waste energy on producing it. Our body's always looking for how to be efficient. And if it sees, oh, there's already melatonin in here, I don't need to be making it, then it's not going to be producing it either. So that's exactly true. That's the million dollar answer right there. You know, we're always looking for that quick fix instead of really addressing what we need to do, which is the root. And then, mm -hmm. you know, really course correcting something. You know, I think that's where society has really, you know, here's the magic pill. It's going to yeah. fix you rather than, you know what, it's going to take a little bit of effort and time and we need to just correct. So, and yeah, and you know what it is, it does take a little bit more effort because it does involve doing something outside of just taking a supplement. But it doesn't actually like the results can happen so quickly. I think that's also what people don't realize. It's like, oh, I, I can't get off melatonin. I actually just had a client the other day saying that, like, I'm going to have so much trouble getting off melatonin because I, you know, I've been so reliant on it. But there's so many of my clients where if they just you know, ease themselves off of that um, and then they start incorporating a lot of these strategies, our body naturally wants to produce melatonin. So it's going to do its job so that we can get that high quality deep sleep. We just have to do the things to allow it to do its job. Isn't it amazing when you think about like pegs, you guys just had a power outage in Manhattan Beach. Um, yeah. And it's so wild when the power goes out, how tired you yeah. get so quickly. You're like, it could be seven o'clock, but it's pitch black. And you're like, if you have candlelight, your body naturally is like, see ya, bedtime. Yeah. yeah, no, we had, we had that same, I mean, we're pretty close. So we had that same <laughs> yeah. power outage. It was like an hour and a half or two hours or something. It was crazy. And we were sitting there eating by candlelight and I was like, I'm ready to go to bed. And it was like 645. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. I just took a tub. I had candles. It was actually quite lovely. Thank God for those little electric candles that we had, you know, the little, oh, yeah. so that I didn't have to burn the candles. But I'm just so fascinated because you also talked about um, the belly you know? And that's another symptom or sign that there's maybe an imbalance. Um, and one of our students in our reset had said she noticed her puffiness in her face. And we know that that's a sign for potential hormone imbalance that after a week of doing the reset, it's like all the puffiness went away or the bloating went away. Can, you know? Yeah. Well, for, cause there's kind of like a difference between bloating and belly fat. 
belly fat specifically is weight gain around the belly where bloating is more of the fermentation action that's happening with the gases inside of your GI tract. And definitely the, and even, um, a third difference that puffiness that you're talking about, that could even just be the water retention. So all those are kind of different, but we often associate them like all together because we just think of it as like, we're just expanding yeah yeah um but yeah especially for the belly fat concern or waking around the belly i mean it also can be genetic in just how we are going to be gaining weight some people like i gain all of my weight in my button thighs from gaining weight my you know um and I have like nothing up in my chest. Unfortunately, nothing in my chest, <laughs> nothing in my arms, uh, and nothing's going there, all going down. But for some people, it's right around their belly. But there's also the stress component. And there's been so much research finding that even in other, it's quote, otherwise slim individuals, that they will gain weight around their belly with those higher levels of stress or those higher serum cortisol levels, which just means higher blood levels of cortisol. So there's definitely a cortisol component or a stress or a, a hormonal component about um, weight gain around the belly specifically, but it also could be genetic in terms of where you're gaining or losing weight. Right. But once you actually get to the root cause and things start cha- you know, changing and shifting, then you have a better idea of knowing how you can course correct any kind of imbalance, let's say, if it is a hormone issue. Right, exactly. Um, or or an environment. I like to think of it more as like an environment issue because hormonal makes it seem like again it goes back to the idea of it's your hormones' fault when it's usually you know, there are some very specific cases of like especially thyroid issues, like inflammatory type of concerns. But usually, for the vast majority of people, it's an environment issue, not a, a straight up hormones' fault. Right. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think it's a it's a great change of perspective. You know, for so long, you're told this is wrong. But like you're saying, it's this constant reminder that our bodies naturally want to heal. Our bodies are such amazing machines that like know what to do if you just give them the environment to do so. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, it's such a chiropractic philosophy that I completely stole. So it's not my own philosophy. And I feel really lucky that I grew up with a dad as a chiropractor for that reason. Cause I think it really instilled in my brain that it's not, it's not our body that's failing. It's our, we're failing our body and we need to be able to take away what's not working or add in what it needs. You know, I just will never get this image out of my head of sitting in your dad's office with the <laughs> sprinkler system, with the subluxation yeah, and like yeah. moving. <laughs> like it's in my, like the sprinkler wants to do it, but it can't because it's yeah. blocked. And it's the, I, it's so good. I thought what you were going to say, whenever my friends go into my dad's office to get adjusted, there's like this picture I drew. I don't know if yeah. you see it. The animals with the uh, animals being all adjusted. The animals getting it's adjusted. I drew that when I was, I don't even remember, like second grade or something. I had a good friend who just recently went in and got adjusted and took a picture of it. And I'd even drawn like a worm who's like, I need to get adjusted, even though it doesn't have a spine. <laughs> yes. Oh my yes. God, I love, I love it. it. Oh my God. So, you know, so many of us also, I think is important to address with our environmental, you know, um, how did you say that again? I have to get that in my brain. It's, it's more of an environmental. Yeah. It's our, 
I don't remember what I said. I talk fast, but. (laughs) Well, I would say like instead of it being a hormonal issue, it's the environment that we need to pay attention to. It's an environmental issue. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that we get a lot from, you know, people, I'm sure you do too, is this whole brain fog, um, mood Mm -hmm. springs, mood springs. I like that. Mood Swings. springs. <laughs> yeah, I can talk. It's also that spring up and down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you, Autumn. And then there's depression, there's brain malfunction, yeah. nervousness, anxiety, panic. You know, I don't know about you, but I see more and more people, unfortunately, succumbing to this panic and overwhelm and mm-hmm. these feelings. And it's like, we never used to have it. And I know stress is a, is a huge part of it as well. Are you seeing the same thing in your practice? Yeah. I mean, even with my own history of anxiety and panic attacks, that's something that I really struggled with for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know if it's more common or if I just attract people who also have those similar feelings because I do. Um, and it's something that I talk a lot about as well, but I've often, I get messages all the time from people who will tell me that just from balancing their blood glucose levels with eating the types of foods that I'm always talking about, like on my YouTube channel or in my various programs, um, that their anxiety levels have greatly reduced or their ability to handle stress has greatly improved. And it, I mean, there are so many, especially with anxiety, um, or just our mood and psychology in general, there's so many factors of course that can go into that, but from a nutrition and physiological perspective, you can at the very least put your body in the best place possible to handle those stressors. So, I mean, I always talk about the, um, the storing hormone insulin, which insulin can also have a really big impact on, um, even our, our mental state, because what can happen is if our blood glucose levels are really out of whack, if we get these really big spikes in our blood glucose as a result of our environment and what we're eating and putting into our body, insulin will come in and quickly try and store all of that blood glucose because it's really dangerous to have high blood glucose levels. And then what can happen is it overcompensates and it brings that back down to below our normal blood glucose levels that we need. So a state of like hypoglycemia. And there's actually been so many studies that have found that state of hypoglycemia. And I'm sure anyone who has a history of anxiety can speak to it as well. Um, that when you're in that state of low blood sugar, you get the same feelings as an anxiety or panic attack where it's that rapid heart rate. Um, you get just the, the, the feelings of nervousness or anxiety. It's if you look up, even like on WebMD, um, symptoms of hypoglycemia, you'll see a lot of those same symptoms and it'll even stay feelings of anxiety. So even just something like, um, which goes to show you insulin isn't the problem. It's, it's our environment that's causing those, uh, the need for more insulin, even something as simple as that can cause a really big impact on our mental state. A hundred percent. I mean, I know you and I have talked about that because I had severe panic disorder for all those years, you know, but what was so interesting back then, they would tell us that there was a brain imbalance. So they were correcting it with a drug at the time that would hopefully correct the imbalance. And, and it, it, like you said, it wasn't until I personally changed my diet, started teaching it, learning it. Same thing with people that would come in with an anxiety disorder or panic or whatever. They notice a complete shift right away, the reduction of any kind of nervousness. So, yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting hearing you talk about this because I also know we all work with clients where a lot of like 
weight loss goals and all of these things. And you're talking about this increase of insulin and the dropping of it. And then I also think about, you know, with you and you, your training and your programs and how, um, how many people are overstressing their bodies and then how that's playing Mm -hmm. into this weight gain and then all of these hormones. So again, this environment that we're stressing out. And then what you talk a lot about, which I love is the difference between intermittent fasting and skipping a breakfast and like not getting enough nutrition to adequately support your body's functioning, which then can contribute to low blood sugar, Mm -hmm. these spikes and drops. I'm just, I'm so, I would love to hear you talk more about that because I think that's something that's really interesting to a lot of people and something that can be kind of counterintuitive when you're first kind of getting into it of like, I need to actually eat to lose weight and I need to be taking rest periods to balance out my hormones. Like you talk a lot about negative ions and all of these things. So yeah, I would love to hear you talk more. It's really interesting because when you zoom out and you look at it all from a further out perspective, I always think of like anyone who's listening to this, who took like biochemistry or or anything like that, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about where you like have the little arrows pointing the next thing and whatever. When you, when you think of it as like zooming out like this, they all, it's essentially a circle where all of these things impact each other. Um, you know, the, it's, it really depends on where you're starting within that circle on, on where you would begin. But like, let's say the higher stress levels. So the higher cortisol levels, one of cortisol's main jobs is to bring our blood glucose levels back up. So if we're in a state of low blood sugar, which could be caused by the poor diet, which is then caused by the higher insulin levels to bring that blood sugar back down, that can actually cause an increase in the stress hormone because the cortisol levels are trying to increase your blood glucose level to get it back to a normal state so that you aren't in this um, you know, this low blood sugar state that's also very dangerous. We don't want high blood sugar. We don't want low blood sugar. We want right in the middle. And so cortisol's job is to help bring that back up. And so if you have that poor diet that then causes you to have those spikes in the storing hormone insulin, which causes the weight gain, that then causes the dip in the blood glucose level, and that causes the increase in the stress hormone cortisol to bring it back up. And then the cycle kind of continues because cortisol increases our sugar cravings because it's trying to get that blood glucose back up. Then you start craving the types of foods that then cause that big spike in blood glucose levels and cause the big um, spike. In- it's like this big cycle. It's this right. cyclical cycle where you're just, it's like you're, again, like you said, your body is doing what it can to create the, like what we need. But if the mm-hmm. environment is continually perpetuating this detrimental cycle, yeah. that's, that is figuring it out. Right. And there's a, a term in biology called homeostasis. And it's like the OG balance. I was just going to say that's Yeah. When people talk about this elusive balanced diet that you need and balanced lifestyle, that is like bringing it back to homeostasis in your body, pH balance, all of the things. Yeah. Like within it's, it's like, we think of balance as being like one thing just because that's what's perpetuated in Instagram and social media life. Um, But in reality, when you look at the body within itself, there's so many different levels of homeostasis. So like you talk about pH levels, pH level of our blood needs to be different than the pH level in our stomach. If those were the same, then we would have a lot of issues. Either we would die from our blood levels being too acidic, or we would not be able to break down any protein because our blood or our pH level um, is too high. So we would not have enough acidity to break that down. We also would get foodborne illnesses because that's our first line of protection against um, various foodborne pathogens. Is it killing, being killed off by the acid in our stomach? 
So there's this whole homeostasis within even at that aspect and then even within our hormones and even within the time of day. Like we don't want always low cortisol levels. That's not good. We need to have higher levels in the morning. That's naturally how we get up and we feel energized after sleeping all night. But then we want to make sure it slowly dips back down throughout the day to allow melatonin, our sleep hormone, to naturally go up. So it's like never feeling, you know, and that goes back to the workouts. We don't always want to be working out. You, then you're in a state of constantly tearing yourself down. You need to have the time of, of tearing down and rebuilding. That's just, you know, even within each day or the time of the week, there's, there's such a balance that's needed to allow for these various functions to happen. Hi loves, Meg's here. Have you already joined one of our reset programs? If you haven't, maybe you just need a little bit more personalized support for your health goals. Join me for one-on-one functional medicine coaching sessions. Coaching sessions provide additional support designed specifically to help you detox from stress, excess weight, inflammation, bloat, and all that negative energy out of your life. Healing involves a whole body approach and our Curry Girls Kitchen reset programs and personalized coaching offers just that. Head to currygirlskitchen.com or follow the link in today's show notes to sign up for your free initial 20-minute consult. Let me help you get started on your unique journey to wellness. So then what are some of the ways that you suggest to rebalance this, you know, bringing us back into this homeostasis state? What are some of the, you know, gems, as I would say? Yeah. Um, I mean, since we were just talking about workouts, that's a really great place to start because I see two problems <laughs> often. Either people are way over exercising, you know, they're doing two a day workouts. Um, this is something I see a lot with like those who are in college, um, because you, know, you have a little bit more flexibility with your schedule. So you're able to get more working out in. And I would see it's a lot when I was in school, people doing like two days or even three days to, you know, try and achieve a weight loss goal or, or try to get the level of toning that you're looking for that in itself can be very detrimental. It can actually continue to break down your muscles and, um, cause you to not see the toning benefits, but then you also get the issue with increased cortisol levels as well, because you don't get that proper rest that's needed in between those workouts. So your body's trying to pump out some energy in terms of, um, using cortisol. So there's the opposite end as well, because I think that I sometimes get pigeonholed into only talking about excessive exercise, but there's also really just not moving, (laughs) which I think with most of us working from home, that's the issue that a lot of us have. And something I've seen with a lot of my clients where you just aren't able to get the um, opportunity or it's easy to forget to move. That's I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in this issue as well. That's why I started wearing my um, Fitbit again, because I needed to have something remind me to get up and to move because it's so easy for me to just like get stuck on my computer and not realize that it's suddenly 6 p.m. So there's there's the two extreme spectrums and we need to find the middle, but the middle for each person will be different. So like, for example, someone who has a lot of issues with sleep and they aren't able to get very much sleep in or they're working on their melatonin and getting that nighttime routine, they should not be incorporating high intensity interval training. That just, it doesn't make sense for them because they need to first focus on that sleep component where you're actually going to get that rest and repair from your workouts. So for someone like that, only walking and making sure you get a certain amount of walking in is their balance. Whereas for someone else, like, like some athletes that I work with where inherently they have that two two day workout, they have to be getting in enough workouts, getting the type of workouts balanced out where 
you, know, you don't have hit workouts back to back. You, you only have two hit workouts a week. You're um, scheduling the strength training so that you're using opposite muscle groups um, on different days. So you allow for the rest of those muscle groups in between each days and you focus on make sure you're properly refueling after those workouts. That's balanced for someone like that. So it's really important, at least from an exercise perspective, to make sure that you aren't looking at it at a one size fits all. Like everyone should only be walking or everyone should only be doing these two day workouts. It depends on where you're at in you know, the other cycle, like that whole circle of sleep and the types of foods you're eating, making sure you first take a look at that and see what's compatible for where you're at. I think it's so great too, that you're also talking, addressing that walking is movement, which does contribute towards a workout. Like we have this idea, I think, because of the rise of gym culture and all of these workout classes that we thought we had to go to a space and train for 45 minutes to an hour. And if you didn't get that in, then it doesn't count. Whereas like as somebody that like you, I can get stuck at my computer as long as I'm getting anywhere from like 15 to 30 minutes of some type of whether it's resistant workout, hit workout, and walking every day, like some type of moving of the body or playing tennis. Right now it's wintertime, so I'm snowboarding. Like those activities are equally as beneficial and will move the trajectory of this these goals that you're trying to achieve too. Yeah, especially if a lot of those that you listed are outside, which I think that because of the rise of the gyms, which I personally loved my gym up until it was closed. So I really liked going to the gym as well. So I totally get that for a lot of people. But we've lost out on doing a lot of outdoor activities. And you mentioned, I forget if it's your Peggy who mentioned negative ions earlier, but that's something that most of us are not getting exposed to anymore. And it's it's um, essentially something that's naturally produced from a lot of outdoor environmental uh, things. So like crashing waves is one of the richest sources of negative ions. Um, being out in the park or uh, or wind, ironically, is um, a really big source of negative ions. And that's been found to help naturally reduce our serum cortisol levels. So by being outside more often, even just going on a walk, you are being exposed to a lot of those additional benefits that we don't consider that you're completely missing out on if you only consider your workouts being at the gym. Oh my gosh, you guys. What I love most is what I'm hearing is variety. Just like when we talk about the food, we need the colorful rainbow. The people that eat the same thing day in and day out, you're not getting all the benefit and all the nutrients that are in a whole bunch of different foods. Well, just like what you're saying with the exercise, there's so many benefits with every different form of exercise. And I love the perspective that you're giving with it. I remember my dad, we'd sit on the beach and he'd go soak up the negative ions, baby. And I'm like, what are you nuts? What is that? Negative ions? Is that a bad thing? But now, you know, it's like, I know that it's a good thing. I know that it's good for me, but the way you said it, it was so awesome. And then Megan talking about all these different things, all these different exercises in the wintertime, it's like, you're using those different muscle groups and um, different parts of your body that we wouldn't normally necessarily use. And what I learned that kind of blew me away, um, I was listening to Dr. Mark Hyman. He had a longevity kind of thing that he was talking about. And the neuromuscular um, system, I've never really heard it said that the reason why weight training is so important besides, you know, mobility and things like that as we age, it affects our hormones. 
when your muscles are, you know, uh, strengthened, that it actually naturally helps our body produce the testosterone that we both need. Males don't just need it. Women need it too. Yeah, that and um, just with the resistance exercises, it also helps to make us more insulin sensitive so that we don't need to pump out as much insulin in response to food, um, you know, if we were more insulin resistant. And it all comes back to this environment piece, you know, talking about it, like being outside is directly affecting your internal environment to make everything be in this homeostasis. And I also love that you talk about, you know, bioindividuality. That's another really hot topic word right now. And that depending on what your goals are, if you're trying to fix your sleep, if you're trying to focus on weight loss, if you're trying to like reduce inflammation or whatever these goals that you might have are um, gut issues, et cetera, you know, you're going to have different tools to help you get back to that. And that's also really important to understand that you no longer is it just going to the gym, getting on the elliptical, working out on that for like an hour a day or this, like switching it up. Even like, you know, you're a big triathlete. You do like all of your, your bike, your swim, all of these things. You need all of those different components. Variety people. I'm, I mean, I haven't done that in a little bit. But. <laughs> That's okay. You still did it. I don't care. You know what the thing is? You did it. You know, when Sam did her um, marathon, yeah. we were all like, holy yeah. crap, you know? And so, yeah, but, I feel like that's a one and done thing for so many people. Like, oh, yeah. at least for me, I did it once and I was like, eh, it's been checked off. I do not need to do that again. Oh, Sam felt, <laughs> Sam felt the same exact way, you know? Yeah. So, if you've ever, if you've ever seen anybody train for it, that if it doesn't tell you yeah. enough about your body is not meant to do one thing over and over, just mm-hmm. talk to anybody that do, does consistent marathons, their ankles, their feet, their knees, their quads, like knees, everything like tears it down. N- you need that variety. Yeah. Yeah. Which someone who's like a competitive athlete where that's what they're doing, they're not just running. Like totally. they're doing other activities and they're getting probably about 12 to 14 hours of sleep at night for the recovery as well. So that's something else that I have um, some of my like CEO executive type of clients who really, they want to do it all, which I totally admire. And that's awesome. But if you are working a lot, like you have, you don't have a lot of time to spare. Um, you know, you can't really allow for doing something that's going to take so much extra recovery in your life while also working to that extensity. Um, because we really do need, it's, you know, dependent on how much we're exercising on how much rest we need. Um, just like that balance that we're referring to. I mean, even our nutrient needs change, like our magnesium needs go up the more we're training. So same thing with that rest and repair. If you're exercising to a great intensity or um, with that, you know, like a marathon training where you're running like a 20 mile run on the weekends, you need to have an allowed time for that recovery period too. Right. And you know what? We're talking about variety. I mean, we always say variety is so important. So with respect, you started to talk about, you know, the nutrients, the nutrients are foods that support this whole you know, homeostasis with our hormones, with our environment, all of that. And I really would love to hear your opinions about the proteins and the fats and the carbs because there's so much mixed information. And with your science, you know, I know Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are curious, you know, how much protein, what kind of, you know, things like that. What, yeah. What do you see? So 
this, um, especially protein is something that I've found just from meeting with so many people one-on-one. It, so many people aren't even getting the bare minimum. Like the RDAs that people think that they need to be getting, so the amount that the government suggests is so outdated. And even people aren't getting that amount. Like it's 0.8 grams per kilogram, which is not very much. Um, what's more research, more current research is showing it's more between 1.2 grams per kilogram to 1.6 grams per kilogram. So just the fact that of body weight, I should clarify. So just with that simple explanation there, it shows that everyone has a different amount of protein that they need. But even within that range, I remember they would teach us this in school. They'd be like 1.2 to 1.6. And they would never say like, why? And that always frustrated me. I was like, so how do you know when someone should be having 1.6 or 1.2? And they'd be like, just pick a number. And we'll look at it. It wasn't literally like that. But it's what it felt like. It's the range. Yeah. Yeah, It felt like they were just not really giving it a precise number. And from what I've found with my own um, meeting with clients is it's so dependent on where they're at and what their goals are. So like if you are, if you're constantly hungry, for example, and if you have a lot of issues with blood glucose control, 1.6 is going to be more of what you're going to need um, because it's going to provide you a higher level of satiety and it's going to um, just especially help with a weight loss goals in mind, helping with um, the body composition goals that you're looking for. But if you, and especially if you're exercising at a higher state where you really need to have um, more of the protein and amino acids to help recover, then you're going to need that higher end of 1.6. Whereas the 1.2, if you just find that you generally aren't that hungry anyway, and you're not exercising at a high amount, that's not necessary. So using that lower range of 1.2 is a better option for you. And then, yeah, so it's like, it is so highly dependent on the goals that you're looking for and what, what type of demands you're putting on your body. Generally speaking, the more demands you're putting on your body, the more protein you're going to need. Because that is, um, your protein is essentially the building blocks of our entire body helps make our hormones. Um, it, it just helps us so many aspects, of course, our muscles as well, which is what it's usually most noted for. But generally speaking, the higher demands that you have, the more protein that you'll need and the more on the 1.6 end um, that you'll need to be consuming. So just to kind of chunk it down even more for someone, because like someone my age, the I think it's a myth now is that as we age, we don't need uh, we don't need as much protein, which now what I've learned is that's a false statement. I think that we need actually a lot more protein. Um, so like what would be like, like 20 grams per, you know, for like a normal, you know, state of a, like, how do you, obviously it's going to be different depending on size and weight and all of that. But when you say 1.6, is it, are you looking at like at least 20 grams of protein at each meal. Like for me, I was thinking, oh, I just need like 20 grams at my main meal. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it also depends on how many meals you're having. So that's another really big factor because um, especially with me talking a lot about intermittent fasting, I'm usually a big proponent of a three meal structure because it mimics how our we're been trained to eat with break, breakfast or breakfast. Um, lunch and dinner. And it's also easier to get in all that protein within three meals. But I have a lot of clients who are very busy and who can't you know, be able to um, have that third meal. They don't, just don't have time for it. So a two meal structure, that's going to greatly change how much protein is going to be in each of your meals, because you have to take that second meal that you are no longer having and split it 
uh, those proteins in between those other two meals. So I'm always so hesitant on just saying 20 or 30 grams of protein per meal because that it's, it's so dependent on how many meals you're having, um, what your body's needs are, and you uh, what you're able to get in as well. But one thing interesting that you noted um, about you know people as they age needing less protein, actually it it's kind of flip flopped. And the reason why is because our stomach acid levels start to decrease as we age. And so it's actually more difficult to break down and absorb protein. So it's not necessarily that you need to eat more or less protein as you age. It's just, you need to then help support um, the stomach acid levels to make sure that you have the stomach acid to then break down the protein. And would that have a lot to do, would you say, with your food combining so that you're eating the foods that are going to help it rather than inhibit it? You know, it's one, but um, especially with getting older, it's so important not to have the types of things that cause your body not to secrete it. So usually one issue is that people are used to having a low protein diet and protein is going to cause you to secrete more of the um, stomach acid. So by having more protein consistently throughout life, your body is naturally going to continue to produce it. But if you have a lot higher, like let's say, um, you guys were in Italy, so I don't know if you experienced this, but when I was studying abroad and obviously eating a lot more pasta and pizza, because that's what I could afford, uh, <laughs> you are greatly reducing the amount of stomach acid that your body is producing. And so it's actually easier to get acid reflux for that reason, because the lower um, production of stomach acid makes it so that your the sphincter, the esophageal sphincter that's above uh, your stomach can't properly close. So it's easier for that acid to splash back out. So, you know, the types of foods you're eating, definitely refined carbohydrates um, are some of the worst components when it comes to um, stomach acid, but also getting enough of the foods that cause your body to produce it with protein being the main one. Nice. That's such good information. And it's, it is, it's hard. It's to be like, okay, so say you're, it's, it's not so much like age dependent. It's like, understand your weight, understand how many meals a day you're actually getting in. and then calculating based off of that range, taking into consideration what level of activity you're doing, what goals, what things mm -hmm. you're really wanting to focus on. And then you can th break down how much protein you're trying to get in. Right. And to add even more complexity to all of that, that's one component of your meal. So right. it's just the one component that you need to be focusing on. I would argue is one of the most important components because it is so important for so many various goals. Um, but you need to still be considering, especially the fat component next, making sure you're getting enough fat for your needs, which is very dependent on um, each person. And then also getting in the uh, high quality, lower starchy vegetables for the fiber component to make you feel full and satisfied as well. That's one of my favorite reels you've made is the three ingredients you need in every smoothie for weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this great reminder of just making sure, you know, I think we've all can say like as a gener as like a society, we've moved past the generation that fat makes you fat. And we realize yeah. how important it is for our brain health, for hormones and for satiation and all of these other things that we need when we eat so that we can feel full. That's something you always talk about eating to satiation, you know? Yeah. I think that with what you're just saying that we've moved past that as a generation, I do think that now we logically know that we do need fat. Like I think a lot of people understand that, but it, it hasn't seeped in yet. Like I just mm. um, posted something like we, we still have that emotional attachment to the idea that either 
that will make us gain weight or that it's bad for us. And it'll cause us to have like heart disease and cancer and all of these other things. It's, it's, it's like inbred fear that we just have around it. And the emotional side of that is so much more difficult to break. Um, I just had someone who reached out to me on Instagram because I posted, I think it was yesterday, I posted a picture of this one graph showing um, the blood cholesterol levels and how actually the lowest levels of cholesterol had the highest levels of cardiovascular disease, stroke, et cetera. Um, and then even for like performance levels, the higher, the highest levels of cholesterol had the most um, like you know, just memory uh, benefits and just all of these things going on with the brain. Um, and I had someone reach out to me. He's like, I have, I logically know that this is right. I've seen so many of your videos and I totally understand that, but this graph also really helps me to just get it seeped into my brain. <laughs> and I think that's something that even though we know it, we haven't had it seep into our brains yet. That's such a good point, you know, because we're in it and we now see the science and certain things because we're researching it. We're actively seeking out this information um, because we want to have a better understanding of this. You know, it, it's still important to share this because it is something that even though we're hearing it, that visual is, I mean, I'm a visual learner. It helps when you can see the graphs, like even you talking about the circle and like all of the different things back in biology and systems, like you need that pairing sometimes. Yeah. And you also, on top of that, need to see it in action, like without doing it yourself and feeling how good you feel and seeing the changes in your own body. It's, it can be really hard to believe. It was hard for me to believe for a long time, even because in school, they still teach you a lot of like low fat diet. Even if you have diabetes, even though diabetes is an issue of blood glucose control, you should have a high carb diet for that. Like they still teach a lot of those USDA guidelines, even though you'll then go into the next class on physiology and learn the exact opposite when you look at like the actual science. Um, so that was even hard for me to get my head around too. But it's like, you know, when you first logically understand it and then you experience it, that's the best combination of being able to then apply it and feel good about it. That to me is the kinesthetic approach. That's me. I got to touch it, smell it, feel it, yeah. do it, see it. And then I'm like, yes, you know? Yeah. So, and then Same. and once you do and you see this results of like movement as walking and really making sure you're getting adequate nutrition and you're now reaching these goals, you're like, okay, this is it. This is what I, and like, they're like, get oh it. my gosh, like one hormone that we haven't even really talked about are the very satiety hormones of peptide YY, CTK, and then the hunger hormone of ghrelin and how all of those, um, are impacted by our food choices as well. Like how protein causes you to increase your satiety hormone, peptide YY, fat causes you to increase the satiety hormone cholecystokinine. And with that pairing, you're able to feel full and satisfied. So not only are you keeping insulin low, the fat storing hormone, but you're also able to feel good. And sometimes I think that we're like so drilled into thinking that hunger is the only way to lose weight that people get a little scared by that. They're like, wait, I feel good. Something must be wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I love that so much. Holy moly, you guys. I think Autumn, we could like be here for like another two hours with you because we just <laughs> love all this information. It's so important because, you know, at any age, you know, whether you're mm -hmm. young, middle, old, you know, elder getting there. Um, if you want more of Autumn, like you guys, we we can't say enough about this amazing um, young woman who has really helped so many people, hundreds of thousands of people follow autumn you know autumn has like 
totally done an amazing job. We can't recommend her enough. And first, you know, head on over to Autumn Bates at YouTube channel, because first of all, what she does and what you can hear from just this little bit of time that we've been able to share with you is how she makes sense of all this technical science information, like Megan said at the beginning, so digestible and understandable that, you know, we get it. And so, you know, Autumn also has an incredible website. It's Autumn Bates at Autumn L Nutrition. Yeah, Autumn L Nutrition. Right, Autumn L <laughs> Nutrition. And all of this will be on our show notes. Um, and so, Autumn, where else can everyone find you? You have this amazing website, this amazing YouTube. Yeah. Instagram. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I... I would say YouTube is one of the best places to start. That's where I think I have like over 300 videos now. Um, something like that. It's been a wild, wild journey with YouTube. Uh, but I have so many videos that range from like three minutes. If you want like short, quick information to longer live streams that are like an hour long. So a lot of information on intermittent fasting, on how you can use food to help you feel good um, and achieve your goals. So that's just Autumn Bates. Um, and then my Instagram is autumn L underscore nutrition. So E L L E. And then same thing for my website, it's autumnlnutrition.com. Um, that's where you can find my various programs, which intermittent, the complete intermittent fasting bundle is the biggest one. That's where you're going to get all of this information about all this fits together. Um, especially with the meals and how each of the protein, fat and fiber fit together and how to create those meals. Um, that's on my website. And then I also. Did I mention Instagram? Yeah, what you did. did. No, say? Pinterest. Yeah. Pinterest. You have yeah, a Pinterest. You, said, <laughs> you have Pinterest. Yeah. I'm very bad at that though. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where you can like find my, um, of course, it'll link out to my various blogs. But I do have a Pinterest account where it'll link out to the various different blog posts, especially if you are new to intermittent fasting. I have a whole section that I just revamped today actually on what breaks a fast. So it's like goes into the details of different types of foods and whether or not they break a fast. Um, so that's a really useful resource as well. Even if you are using the complete intermittent fasting bundle, it's a good one to pair with for just continuing, um, education and just constantly learning and, and learning more about your body too. Well, and you've also produced all these incredible eBooks. Like I mentioned before, Autumn's yeah. Nerdy Kitchen Cookbook. I cannot wait to dive into that. And sign up to her newsletter because you really do give oh, yeah. such great information out in your newsletter, free recipes, your freebies. I mean, there's so much that you offer and as somebody that's always, I go back seasonally to your fasting program and really figuring, have found a nice balance within my body that it's just a way of living now at this yeah. point. Um, that's what we're all about. It's finding a lifestyle that really supports your wellness goals and how you want to feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how it can fit into your lifestyle too, because that's something else that my programs really focus on is not having a one size fits all approach. Like you will not find that you need to be eating meat or that you need to be vegan. Like you will find all of the various approaches on how you can make it fit your specific lifestyle and food choices, because if it's not going to fit what you actually like to eat every day or even your cooking level, because I love to cook, obviously you guys love to cook. So there is that aspect with recipes as well. But there's also the restaurant guidelines that teach you how to go out to eat and be able to eat while on the go, which is so important because you shouldn't just be able to stick with your goals when you're at home. You should also be able to stick with it and feel good while you're traveling or if you don't like to cook. Wow. So tell us 2021, 
It's a big action year, you know. Do you have anything new upcoming with programs or anything coming up? Yeah, I do have um, something new I've started this year is that I go weekly live streaming during my challenges. So my latest challenge just ended um, last week, but I will be starting another one in spring, which I will announce like what Megan mentioned on my newsletter, um, which is on my website that you can find there at automelnutrition.com. Um, so that'll be somewhere in March and I'll go live as well um, on YouTube weekly during that. And then I have something really big and exciting that I can't announce just yet that's coming out in June. And it's the first of something that I've not done yet. So definitely make sure that you're subscribed to the newsletter um, so that you can stay in touch on what's happening in June because it's a highly requested thing that um, a lot of my community has been asking for, but I'm just not getting to. So oh my god! Oh, we can't wait! We can't wait! Oh my gosh, Autumn! Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you! We're so grateful for all your delicious nerdy goodness. <laughs> no. Well, thank you. I always love hanging out with you guys. Obviously, you guys are like a second family to me. So, thanks mm. for having me. Oh my god! Oh, always. We'll definitely have you back on soon. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The Uncensored Empath is hosted by Sarah Small, your no BS spiritual guide. Her 15-year journey with chronic illness, experience with loss and grief, and insatiable desire to integrate the darkness into the light inspired her to create her thriving wellness business. She supports empaths and highly sensitive people to create a body, business, and life they love through a blend of energy, neuroscience, spirituality, and intuition. Check out Sarah on her podcast, The Uncensored Empath.